Those who remain, I'll invite you to find in your Bibles or in a pew Bible, Hebrews chapter 13, if you'd like to be able to follow along in your own Bible. We are at our last sermon of the summer, and I just think it's so amazing the way God timed things with Natalie to her baptism be today and I just really feel like he means for all of us to be here together now today for this word from Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read the entire chapter. I'm only going to actually focus on two verses of the chapter for the sermon. But listen to God's word as I read. And and don't, don't let this just be a perfunctory thing that we do or some preliminary thing that we do uh, before the sermon. Hear this for what it is. It's God's word. This is what has the power. This is what he promised would, would never go out without accomplishing his purposes. You know, it's the same power that created the universe. You know, God spoke all of this into existence and he speaks through his word. And it's through his spoken word that he sparks new life in us and encourages us and strengthens us and changes us. So listen as I read and follow along, if you'd like, in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 13. He's come to the end of this letter or sermon, and he just has some miscellaneous instructions. He's like a pastor who should be rounding out the sermon, but seems to just start putting more and more into it. Because as a pastor, you get to the end of your sermon and you start to panic, but I've got so much more to say. And it sort of seems to be the flavor here. It's just a lot of instructions. And then it comes to the close with a a beautiful prayer for the people. He writes, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and of those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. 
That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. The end. That's the end of the book of Hebrews, what we spent the whole summer in. Now, there's so much in this chapter, just like there's been so much in every chapter that we've breezed through at the speed of light this summer. But we are going to focus today, our final Sunday in this, this great book, our final Sunday of our, our summer together before Labor Day weekend, in verses 20 and 21. So I've put... All of that up there, I know that's a lot to look at, but we're going to be looking at these two verses and we're going to be moving around up and down in it. I thought it'd be good for us to all see it together all on one slide. This is such a, a tender part of the book. It's such a warm, loving part of this book as he rounds it out and comes to a close. You hear the love of God for his people through his pen here. Now... May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is called a benediction or a doxology. It's basically a, a prayer. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to happen through this book and for us today. Now, if you'll note, there's a, a core ask in this prayer. It's surrounded by a lot of theology, but the big idea is he wants God to equip the readers of this letter with everything good that they may do his will. That's the centerpiece of the prayer. May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. But I want you to notice what surrounds that. Notice how Godward the focus is. May the God of peace, the God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, Jesus, the Son, the great shepherd of the sheep. And he mentions the blood of the eternal covenant. So it's God who did all these things. It's this God who will do the equipping. It's this God whose will it is that the equipping is for, that you may do his will. 
It's this God that works in us so that we can please him. And then all the glory is meant to go to Jesus Christ. So it's all coming from God and it's all done through God and it's all going back out to God in glory and worship. And note too, I, I, I so relate to a prayer like this. I find myself at the end of every sermon when it's prayer time and I've preached the sermon, just like this writer has written the letter or this might've been a sermon and our, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and it's a couple of moments of quiet. And in those moments of quiet, I'm about to pray, in floods all these things I really, really want to be clear to you. So often preachers don't feel like they were clear. And yes, I know often there's good reason for that. And that last prayer is like the last chance. It's my last chance to just ask God to at least make the main thing clear. And I feel like that's what we have here. So he packs it full of these reminders. The main thing is he's asking God to equip the readers to do God's will. But he packs it full of all these reminders about God. He's the God of peace. He's the God who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the God who gave us the, the new and eternal covenant in Jesus' blood. This is, this is the Jesus for whom everything points for his glory. So with all that in mind, I just want to offer you three observations from these two verses. And hopefully we'll walk away with nothing else from this summer with this. And I know many folks here weren't here all summer for the rest of the book, and that's okay. The first observation, it's all about God. It's all about God. These two verses are about God. This book of Hebrews we've spent so much time in has been about God. The Bible itself is about God. Church is about God. We live in an age of self. We're consumed with self. I think if our ancestors could peer through the future and see us now and see how often we're taking pictures of ourselves to post on the internet for people to look at, they would be so confused. Why are you taking self-portraits constantly and posting them for everybody to look at? That kind of narcissism would make no sense in other generations, but we're, we're slowly getting used to being all about ourselves. And we have all these avenues to promote ourselves. Think about how many profiles you have set up on different social networking websites. I know that doesn't apply to all of you, but everybody of a certain generation and younger. All these things, they're meant so we can connect with other people, but often they're an outlet for us to proclaim the glory of the self. Look at me. Look at my vacation. Look at my new haircut. Look at my, my kind of pathetic attempt at growing facial hair. Look at my kids. Look how great they are. Guess what I did? Guess what I'm thinking? Guess how I'm feeling? Look at this selfie and that selfie and that selfie. Church has become about the self. You know, it used to be that church was a place where you came in and you came in humbly and you came in to worship God with other people. And now most of the pressure on church leaders is to satisfy the cravings of the self. I didn't get anything out of that. Well, it's not about you. <laughs> you weren't supposed to get, you're supposed to give worship. 
We shop for the church that has the most that appeals to us. We want our personal needs to be met. that, That never has been the way reality works. Reality isn't about my needs. Reality is about the God of the universe and his glory being proclaimed through every air particle, through every leaf on every tree, through every raindrop, through every sunrise and sunset, through every breath we take in and out. God's glory, it's about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. Precious Natalie, that baptism, that wasn't even about Natalie, really. It was mainly about God's glory in Natalie and how much he loves Natalie. And now we get to see how he works through Natalie, not to glorify her, but to glorify himself. You're not even here for you, even though you might have thought you were. You're here for God. It's all about God. You know, we, you drove here in your car, and your car has in front of you and beside you and behind you windows, not mirrors. And we so often construct our lives where mirrors are flanking us. And you can't go anywhere. You can't understand anything about reality if all you're doing is looking at yourself. Our modern popular psychology is all pointing us inward. The truth, the answers are within you. You have an emotional disturbances. Well, look inward until you figure it out. And yet the voice of God quietly is always calling, no, 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 you're not supposed to be looking inward. You're not supposed to be inward. You're supposed to be upward and outward. Your life's not about you. It's about God. And then like Jesus said, you know, those who want to save their life must lose it. Those who, who try to save their life will lose it. The, the way to try and f- to find true life is to let go of it, to stop trying to, to manage it, to stop trying to examine it, to stop trying to consume yourself with making your own life work. It's all about God. It's such a freeing fact of reality. So that's why he jams, jams is full of these reminders about God, I think. He calls him the God of peace. You know, I remember early on we went through the book of Philippians, and that has that great passage in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, usually I can remember it, but I can never actually remember Scripture when I'm up here in front of you guys. But it says something to the effect of, be anxious for nothing. That command alone is groundbreaking. That, it, that assumes the possibility that we could be anxious for nothing. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I remember when we studied that, I, I had heard that verse before and I had found it comforting and I had thought it meant that he was going to give us some peace. You know, we're anxious, he's going to give us, break off a little bit of peace and give it to us and we're going to have peace, like an ointment we could rub on and we'd feel better. And I realized what the passage actually is saying is we're supposed to be like children and look up and see our father and see, well, he understands a lot more than I do and he's at peace. He's not worried. So I'm going to let his peace, even though I don't feel at peace, I see that he's at peace. I'm going to let his peace guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That was a big moment for me when God taught me that, that he's not going to give me some tangible peace. He wants me to be looking to him and trusting in him and his peace. But this passage gives us sort of a flip side of that coin. 
Philippians, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Our passage today, the God of peace. The peace of God, the God of peace. He's not just at peace and he he doesn't just help us to feel peace. He is the God of peace. The God of it. I think this is just one example of how we forget the Godward focus of all of life. And how many of you feel like you could use a little more peace in your life? I know all of you should be raising your hand. You're probably too anxious. I, I'll just go off script, which is always regrettable, but here we go. Um, for some reason, I just have been eaten up with anxiety today. I don't know what it is. I woke up, I went to bed with it. I woke up with it, just heart hammering, anxiety. I can't put my finger on it. I do have pressures on me like everybody does. I don't understand it. So I, I want peace. And this is such a firm, strong reminder. Ours is the God of peace. How often do we turn to a little pill of peace and, and that's, our savior for our anxieties, or we turn to a plan of peace to try to figure out how to deep breathing, maybe some yoga and meditation. I don't know. And all those things have their place, but how foolish of us if we turn to all these little things of peace and ignore the God of peace. He owns peace. He is peace. There really is no peace apart from him. It's all about God. He also, another reminder he puts in there, the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. This fact of the resurrection is the central fact of all human history and especially of all Christianity. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, all of what we're doing today is pointless. There is no hope for sinners. We're left in our sins. The historical fact that Jesus Christ was a real man who really got killed very publicly, really was buried, and really came back alive from the grave. And it sounds crazy. I know it does. But this is the fact. This is the central fact of Christianity. I did a little research. Buddha died in the 5th century of old age aggravated by some sort of reaction to a meal. It might have been pork. It might have been some sort of mushrooms. There's a big debate about what it was. He died. He was older. He was probably in his 70s, I think, in the 5th century. He was cremated. Bits of him were sent around as relics. And they had big monuments made, like one of them was a tooth. And there's a monument to the tooth of Buddha. And that's all that's left of Buddha. Muhammad died in 632 AD from fever, really high fever. Some people suspect he was poisoned. He was buried in a tomb, and now there's a big big green dome built over his tomb, but that's where his body is. Joseph Smith died in 1844. He was attacked and killed by a mob. He was shot. They buried him. They actually buried him under some old outbuildings because they were afraid people were going to dig up his body and desecrate it. And then later the Mississippi river started to rise and they got to, you know, worried that the river was going to desecrate it. So they dug him up and they buried him someplace else. He's buried. You know, all these people have come and they've gone. 
Jesus' body isn't in the tomb. You know, when Jesus was killed, his disciples went into hiding. They were terrified. And for three days, nobody heard from him. And then, suddenly, they came out so bold they were willing to die horrible, gruesome deaths for Jesus. And what we believe is they came back with such bravery because they saw the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. He appeared to hundreds of people. You know, the Roman authorities would have had great motivation to produce Jesus' body, to shut up these Christians. But they couldn't because Jesus rose from the tomb and ascended into heaven. See, God did that. I think we get so consumed with our day-to-day stuff that we forget just the fact of the resurrection. Now, if that happened today, if that happened in your lifetime, you wouldn't be able to talk about anything else ever. Everything would remind you of that. It would come up in every conversation. Well, that reminds me of where I was when I heard about Jesus having risen from the dead. Almost every time at dinner, you'd talk about it. That's the... That's the power of our God. That's the truth of what we believe. It's all about God. Second little observation. God's will is your way. God's will is your way. Often we try to find our way through different circumstances and, and in our life and wonder what we ought to do, especially young people as they're growing up and they're graduating high school and they're looking ahead. May the God of peace equip you with everything good for what purpose? So your plans will succeed? No, maybe not. Maybe they're not your plans. So that you can do God's will. I really believe that he wants to equip each of us to do his will. I really believe that's why he brought you here. So here's how scripture works. You know, we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture, it's God's breathed out word. It's miracle stuff. It's not the stuff of men. So the Holy Spirit inspired this writer to write this prayer. And then we also believe that God is sovereign and that there are no accidents or coincidences that are outside of his foreknowledge. So the Holy Spirit breathed these words into existence, guided my thinking to follow this path along in Scripture, guided things as such in Natalie's life to bring all you folks here Everything in your circumstances to bring you here, uh, you know, a hundred different reasons that each of us is here. But the underlying reason is God wanted you here to tell you this. And he wanted you here to receive this. He wants to equip you for a very specific mission in your life to do his will. That word equip is sort of like what we do with our children when it's back to school time. You know, we, We go shopping, we get all their stuff, we get all their clothes. If they have uniforms, we make sure they're all embroidered and ready to go. You know, we, we, Meredith, I say we, Meredith was really on the ball this year. You know, all their clothes neatly ready to go. Everything's systematized. It's ready. They are equipped. And on their first day of school, Lillian's first day of kindergarten, Everything was in place. By the time we walked out of the door, she was completely, you know, all buttoned down, ready to go, book bag on, lunch bag right here, packed, equipped. That's sort of what this word means. So what is God's will? 
On the macro level, we know that it all has to do with love. Remember, one of Jesus' opponents came to him and tried to trick him and said, what's the biggest commandment in all the commandments? And Jesus didn't even hesitate. He knew, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then as a bonus, he even told him the number two commandment, which the guy didn't even ask. He said, the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hinges or hangs upon these two commandments. And then what I read up there at the end, he gave us the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. So, you know, as a church, we've built ourselves around this, love God and love people by making disciples. So on the macro level, we know that's God's will for you. He wants your heart. He wants you to love him with every fiber of your being. And he wants you selflessly, humbly loving the people around you. And he wants you applying yourself to making disciples and encouraging people to move toward him through Jesus Christ and to grow as Christians. Zooming in a little bit in the book of Hebrews, his will is for us all to just hang on to our faith in the hard times, to hold fast rather than drift away. Zooming in even further in this chapter, he just gave us a laundry list of like 20 specifics that he is his will for us. God's will is very plain. There's really no reason for any of us to wander around aimless as Christians. He's laid it all out for us. Let brotherly love continue in verse 1. Apply ourselves to loving one another like siblings. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That's his will for us, to open up our home, our things, our resources to strangers, which are vulnerable people coming through who don't have roots, don't have family, that kind of idea. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. He's actually here talking about Christians who are in prison for their faith. And it goes on and on. I encourage you to look back. But all this equipping, all the reason he brought you here is so that you could do his will. It's such a higher calling than just wanting a, a, you know, five steps to a happier work life or 10 steps to be a better husband. It's so much more all-encompassing than that. Lastly, it's all about God. God's will is your way. And lastly, God's glory is the goal. See how he ends it? May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. That's sort of the final word. And then he tacks on some some miscellaneous greetings. But he ends on this note of, Let all glory go to Jesus Christ. All weight, all praise, all attention should be redirected from us to Jesus Christ continually. Have you ever tried to figure out what your life goals are? Like in in maybe in your workplace, have they ever like done the training thing where you have to write down your goals and objectives as a person or, okay, no, fair enough. Some people do that. It can be really difficult to nail down a life goal. But luckily, we don't have to brainstorm our own life goal for us. It's given to us by our all-knowing, all-powerful God. It's to glorify Jesus Christ. You know, I almost wrote that point, God's glory is your goal, and then I rewrote it, God's glory is the goal. 
Because as you look through the scripture and you look back through human history, you start to see everything points to Jesus. He's at the center of everything. It's all about God. God's will is your way. God's glory is the goal. And I just want to conclude with just a, a word to those who may be drifting. Remember, this book is written primarily to Christians who are drifting away from Jesus Christ in sort of a slow, subtle way. And maybe that's you this morning. I just want to encourage you. Though everything else may at times slip away from your grip, hold tight to this. Hold tight to the God of peace. Hold tight to the God who, who raised Jesus again from the dead. Hold tight to the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Hold tight to the blood of the eternal covenant. Hold tight to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for this summer together that we've been able to spend in Hebrews. Thank you that you care to equip us to do your will. Thank you for sweeping us up into the grand and glorious and majestic things that you're doing throughout human history to glorify your son, Jesus Christ. Or may each of us hold fast to him. Please equip each and every one of us to do your will. Please work in us that which is pleasing to your sight. In every day, in every decision we make, and in every relationship we have, in every endeavor we take on, may Jesus Christ be glorified. It's in his name we pray. Amen.